Welcome, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us. Just like Jonathan plugged last week, I'm going to plug our website, noexpertsallowed.com, and the, and the merchandise Merch. that's there. Check out our website. Merch. It's pretty slick, if I don't say so myself. But you just did say so yourself. I did. Never mind. I, I also helped design it. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. That's true, though. <laughs> like we said a couple weeks ago, we, we both worked to fill in the beautiful template that Squarespace built for us. So, And I'm so glad that you helped me fill in the website template and that you're here with me now. Yeah, it would have been awkward if we just left all the lorem ipsum Latin filler text. I don't think it would have been as good as it is now. No, probably not. I like seeing your picture. I like seeing your picture. Aw. Aw. Here's a question for you. On that note. (laughs) (laughs) What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to go to the moon or go to the ocean floor? Oh, God. One's obviously in a space shuttle and the other in a submarine. Okay. So you're not like... Which way do you want to die? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was clarifying. I mean, I feel like both of these are so dangerous. I think I would go to the ocean floor, mostly because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of space to still explore too. <laughs> <laughs> but the ocean is on our planet, and it still is like so unknown about what kind of stuff lives down there. I just think it'd be crazy. I'd probably never sleep again, but because I'd be afraid of the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> but that would probably happen in space too. So ocean. I think I'm with you. I would love to see the crazy stuff that's down there. Like that one fish where it has like, out of its head comes like a fishing rod and then it has like a light on it and stuff gets a attracted. Fishing to the... rod? <laughs> like that's what it looks like. And then stuff gets attracted to it. <laughs> To the light. Oh, yeah. And then it, and then like I'm Finding it. Nemo. Yeah. Yeah, like in Finding Nemo. Exactly. Like, I want to see that thing. That thing's crazy. And, like, what else could be down there? That could be nothing. That could be, like, that could be old news after you're down there. Glad to know. Hey, we can we can ride in a yellow submarine wherever we want to go, buddy. <laughs> as long as I'm with you, it's going to be okay. Wow. Thanks. Let's carry that same energy. Into our reading of the text. Yeah, I feel like we've started off really sentimentally so far, so I hope we don't take a turn. (laughs) This is Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36 from the NRSV. There will be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars, and on the earth, distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. And all the trees, as soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. 
Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. This is my gut reaction. Okay, well, I'm interested to hear what's going through your head. Is is there anything that jumps out? Is there out anything you? going through my head? No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's un- but... that's understandable. <laughs> okay, so the first thing that stood out to me was especially from the beginning. Like I've, I'm not a Luke Act scholar by any stretch. Like that's not even the conversation. I've spent a lot of time in Luke and Acts though, and I don't remember especially the first couple verses of this passage. And maybe I just read past it because they're so big and foreboding and weird. Um, but the other thing that stands out to me too is passages like this one and others in scripture, especially in the New Testament, that say this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Or talking about, I know Paul also talks about like this generation will not see death before the resurrection of all things and Christ's final victory and all that stuff. Like there are places throughout scripture that say this generation being the generation presumably to whom these books and letters were written won't die before all these things take place. And to my knowledge, I don't know that they've taken place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's bracket that. I think that's an important point though, that you're making. We'll put it in the parking lot. Perfect. Is there anything else that stands out to you? Uh, Not at this point, but I'm curious to hear what you're thinking. Okay. This connects really well with last week's episode. But when we talked about there's there's this gap between the way that the authors are telling and remembering the story and the way that it actually happened, right? Like kind of the, the historical events. Mm-hmm. And because there's this gap, and especially in the case of, of Luke and Acts, the gap is probably something like 70 years, maybe maybe 60 years from Jesus' death to the time that Luke writes these narratives. So in the meantime, there are these questions, just like you're saying, that like people are wondering when Jesus is going to come back. Like, when is this going to happen? And they think that it's so imminent. Like, think it's going to happen immediately. Right, yeah. that they're still going to be alive, and I just wonder if this passage isn't like a subtle, maybe corrective, or if it's something like just hold on a little bit longer. Like if people's hope isn't waning a little, sure, like oh yeah. maybe maybe that story, maybe these fantastical stories that I've that I've committed my life to, maybe they're not true. It hasn't happened yet. And this is, this is Luke, like, just wait. Just have a little bit of hope. Hold on a little bit longer. We're moving really fast. 
I think that bridged really well into thinking about what the point of this passage is. Because we're, we're still the people living in this strange interim time. Yeah. So I'm wondering in what ways this kind of weird apocalyptic passage that you that you skipped over when you're reading Luke can actually give us some hope and maybe even be instructive for the way that the church lives in the strange middle time. Yeah, so if our listeners wanted to look this passage up in the NRSV, they'd see three sections. There's this first part that's very much about, I feel like very natural uh, in kind of a big scale about the sea and the waves and the moon and the sun and the stars and the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And to reinforce that point, Jesus then talks about the fig tree. When you see the leaves coming, you know that summer is coming. And then finally, you get this exhortation to be ready, to pay attention. And because I've seen so many passages like this used to manipulate people, to prompt fear in people, I'm really hesitant to have hope in the events as they're described, maybe here and in some of Paul's more apocalyptic writings and even the book of Revelation, like I don't have hope that Jesus is going to come in some mystical, overpowering way and literally rain down terror on the world around us. But I, I think my hope looks a little bit more like paying attention for the changing in the seasons to look for the ways that God's ways, Christ's ways are becoming more and more a reality of our lived experience. And so maybe it's not so much a far up, far off hope that everything will be upended and made right. Although I think I do have hope for that, but I don't know that it's going to be flipped like a pancake. It, it feels more mm. like it's going to be, slowly turned bit by bit and we get to be a part of those little turns along the way too and we need to be on the lookout for them does that distinction make sense i i don't know now i'm hungry because i mentioned pancakes but yeah so it's it's less (laughs) it's less pancake and more rotisserie chicken for you Sure. I like if we're gonna stick with a <laughs> okay. if we're gonna stick with a food metaphor, sure. Like a slow a slow, steady turn. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to one kind of giant sweep that yeah. flip. Yeah, that that's helpful. I keep shouting out our Messiah College Bible profs. So here's another one. Okay. Eric Seibert showed us this video one time called Gandhi 2. <laughs> yeah, maybe you remember this. I don't know. I, I don't. That's not, that's not coming to mind. The idea is that Gandhi comes back and he's like, he's like real mean this time. Like he's <laughs> holding like a pipe. Like he's like ready to like, ready to smack down. And his, his point with the video 
is that that makes as much sense to us and what we know about Gandhi as to think about Jesus Christ coming back in this scary, militaristic way that's that's not in keeping with the person that we know in Jesus Christ and seeing the Gospels. So I think I'm with you that like I don't want it to be scary and I don't think that it should be. In fact, I think one of the ways that we can think about apocalypses or maybe I should say apocalyptic texts is that they're always written to give encouragement in the midst of some trying circumstance. Some, maybe it's persecution or or like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, like people are just becoming confused. Like, why why is Jesus not coming back yet? Mm-hmm. And that apocalypses always address things like that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really, despite their imagery, they're really meant to be encouraging. The other thing that I know has come to mind several times before, but most recently from Rachel Held Evans, May She Rest in Peace, and her book Inspired, about the Bible and specifically talking about apocalyptic literature, talking about how the curtain gets pulled back through these texts, that the writer is being critical or revelatory about the way things actually are rather than, you know, foreseeing the future in a way that's like looking far off and trying to interpret these either very literal or very mystical signs rather than using vivid imagery to describe the reality of the world around them. Yeah, they're much closer to the prophets, maybe, as a way to think about them. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, less foresight and kind of more critique of what's happening at the, mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a slight aside, because I don't think we've ever gotten to the revelation we've never done a an episode on it but my whole gotta get to that soon yeah i know man so this is an aside this is a sneak peek what i would say but i just think my whole hermeneutical lens from when i read revelation and i i also tend to apply this to other apocalyptic texts is that the very first line of revelation is the revelation of jesus christ so I always tell everybody, if you're, if you're like so focused on the beasts and the numbers and who these people are, you're, you're missing the point. Like it literally opens with this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That like somehow that has to be the focus in all of it. Yeah. So if you're getting caught up in the symbolism and the imagery and the numerology of it all, it's like, like you might be missing the point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's a good reminder, even for our text from Luke. That, like, if we can get caught up in the signs, in the sun and the moon and the stars. But but that ultimately, these are supposed to be texts that point back to Jesus Christ. To the one who's who was here and is coming back right? and who's with us today. 
it's interesting for me to think about how Luke kind of answers this this interim question, like how is the church going to live before Jesus comes back? Like, I just wonder if Luke doesn't answer that with volume two. If he's like, okay, see Acts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all that to say, I wonder if we can't find some hope at least in what the church is doing or maybe what it should be doing. But I also, just like you talked about earlier, I think we can also find it in the, the wider world too. That when we see pieces of God's justice breaking through, that those are, those are things that we can watch for and that we can hold on to. And we can hold on to them knowing that Jesus is still coming back. Hmm. And when we ask the question about when, we're obviously not alone. Paul asked this question. Luke's audience was asking the same question. Yeah. Continuing our trend of the episode of citing former messiah professors (laughs) i'm still struck by and i think we may have mentioned this on the podcast before but i'm not sure but our professor sharon putt in our introductory theology class i remembered when we were talking about eschatology right the theology of the end kind of pointing at stuff and looking at texts just like this one and she told us, after talking about a bunch of different theories and a bunch of different ideas, that she was of the Rhett Butler School of Eschatology. And told us that, frankly, she didn't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> because, and, and she did that in good humor, I think, because she had a great sense and still has a great sense of humor. But also did so to emphasize that sometimes looking and getting so caught up, as you were talking about, in the apocalyptic text, thinking about the end and what will happen, makes us miss the imperatives of God's good news here and now. You know, Jesus said these things, sure, but Jesus also said that whatever you do for the least of these, you also do to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we are both waiting and active in this kind of paradoxical stillness, like the stillness of the water where what appears to be patient and calm is actually constantly in motion, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. we are both waiting yeah. and we are working. And there's just something about that. I mean, that story and, and that moment in class will forever stick with me, but it's such an important imperative to remember too that while we may be waiting and anticipating and hoping for Christ's return in some way, that's not our only hope. Hmm. Yeah, that seems like a way we can be on guard so that our hearts are not weighed down, as Luke says. Like we can we can be weighed down when when we're so focused on what's coming, you know, far off. Especially when we're fearful of it. So with that, will you pray with me? I'd love that. Stir up your power, Lord Christ, and come. 
by your merciful protection, alert us to the threatening dangers of our sins and redeem us for a life full of justice and peace. We pray this through the one who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us. We're so glad you're part of this conversation too. Next week, we're going to take a look at Malachi, well, as I like to affectionately call him, Malachi, but Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to go to the moon? No. (laughs) (laughs) What? I don't even know what's happening. (laughs) Sorry. I just felt... Just ask, start the question again. We've got a good blue. We've got a good blue for now. Okay.